Would you like to live a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Vetter as he introduces you to cultures of health and healing. Get ready now to try out some healing beliefs and practices from far and wide. Here's the host of your show, Robert Vetter. Welcome back, everybody. I'm back today with Kamaska Curandero, Don Oscar Miro Quesada Solevo. Oscar, I am so happy to be with you again after our last episode together. This time I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about the specific people who have been in your life that influenced you the most with their teachings. And of course, a message throughout that that is going to have impact for all of us on how we live in the world. Certainly, my good brother. Great to be back with you again, too. Well, well, well. Many teachers, both in physical form and non-physical form, have contributed to my service path at present. Um, primarily, of course, those in my biological family, including my mother and my father and my grandfather and my father's brother, all very influential in terms of uh, examples that I strove to, to emulate in, in many ways, uh, although was not able to even approximate their brilliance. Uh, yet the most important lesson I learned from them was a combination of mind and heart, of how to walk that path from the head to the heart, and then walk it in reverse from the heart back to the head. And they were people that embodied great compassion and service and love for their fellow humans, and at the same time, a deep understanding of the importance of of education. Uh, my grandfather dedicated his life to popularizing scientific uh, terse and difficult scientific uh, subjects into language that the general public could, could uh, understand. His motto was, if the people cannot go the, to the university, the university must go to the people. My father was also involved in public health his entire life, 30 years of service. Um, he, you know, and uh, his, his brother dedicated himself to, he was minister of education. And my mother used to feed the homeless uh, since I can remember every time that she had a chance, she would invite them into our home, the people that were disadvantaged in Lima that would come knocking on the door for a piece of bread she would bring into the kitchen and sit them down and feed them. So I had all of these incredible teachers at that level. Uh, regardless of how dysfunctional my family was. Now, as a result of that, I had a lot of confidence in myself, even though I was a very, very poor student, as I told you in my first uh, segment. That did not prevent me, though, from knowing that I had something to contribute to the world. And so I found myself serendipitously uh, thinking I was going to learn how to prepare the Tricuserios Pachanoi, or known as the San Pedro Cactus, which was a brew that I was serving my friends uh, during the 60s as a means of emulating what was happening in Haight-Ashbury in the United States. So we were using the San Pedro brew recreationally, which is 
used to be the, the thing to do in the past, and I would never advise doing any type of sacred sacrament of that nature, plant medicine, uh, in any recreational manner, only with the utmost reverence and, and, and sanctity in, in its ceremonial use. Yet, as I was only 17 at the time, I was looking to find a formula that I could create the best San Pedro to share with my friends in Lima. So I went on a surfing trip up north with some friends of mine, uh, both to surf and to meet this renowned healer known as Don Celso Rojas Palomino from a place called Salas outside of Chiclayo, in the northern coast of, of Peru. He was famed. People would come from all over Peru, as well as from Brazil and Colombia and Ecuador to, to his mesadas, which were these Tuesday and Friday night healing sessions in which he would serve this, this brew made of the uh, San Pedro cactus. And through a very elaborate rituals would go ahead and reframe the, 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 the lived experience of the person. People would come with the various culture-specific illnesses known as daño or, uh, you know, envy, uh, susto, uh, magical fright, uh, mal de ojo, evil eye, all of the classic um, conditions that in modern Western psychiatry or uh, mind-body medicine would be considered psychosomatic, they would be treated through spiritual means. And... Uh, he was a master at being able to help people re-experience the trauma that these illnesses had induced in them in a manner that they were rites of passage, that they were stepping stones, that they were breakthroughs uh, through that breakdown, that through that woundedness, they would be able to learn how to access their inner healing capacity. And I found all this out once I started to apprentice with him, once he invited me to be at his side as what's known as an auxilio de mesada or a assistant in the ceremonial uh, process that he was offering his community. So from going up there as a surf bum to learn to get something I could use to get high, I became a passionate student of one of the most famed healers of Peru, in Peru of the time, a camasquero. He was originally born in the area of Huancabamba, near where the most famous lagoons are that we do pilgrimage to uh, in our apprenticeship as, as curanderos. But then his mother moved down to be next to their family once his father died uh, to Salas Chiclayo. And he had a small little sugarcane uh, field there that he would work and uh, that was his main income. And then he would do his mesadas on Tuesdays and, and Fridays. So from 1969 to 1982, I, I spent at least two months, minimum two months every year during my uh, vacation time from university in the United States back at his place. So that lasted until he sanctioned me as a carrier of the Kamaska lineage and he, how could I describe Don Celso? He was a man of very, very few words. He taught through example. He was impeccable in his 
in his ability to to not let any lower astral negative um, dis, you know non uh, non spiritual influences invade his his presence his consciousness when you looked into his eyes you saw divinity it was like when I first met him, I got to his place with my friends and he looked at us and he said, you, 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 get out of here. You're too, too contaminated. And he said, you, and I thought I was contaminated too, said, you stay. And I stayed. And as a result of that, spent my first two weeks with him. And, um, and he just taught me through his eyes, taught me through his presence, taught me through asking me to go ahead and give him my watch. That's why I never wore a watch again in my life. Taught me by asking me to bring him clothes from the United States. Taught me to, by asking me to buy food for his table, for his family and for his children. Taught me by asking me to sweep the floors and to work the sugar canes. And most importantly, taught me how to see with my vista, how to see with my inner vision by and not only because of the influence of that mind expansive medicine that is the San Pedro, but as a result of doing diagnostic uh, intake, when a person would come into, into his home with a particular condition, how to determine whether it was envidia or daño, uh, how it, if it was an, an illness of God, which is you know a systemic physiological illness, he taught me how to do this by listening to the person and by looking into their solar plexus, into this area, with a technique for vista and virtut that is much like when you look into those 3D posters that at first they just look like one dimensional prints. But if you relax your gaze and you just surrender into them, they start to take this dimensionality and they start to open up into a world in that in the same manner as vist in virtut when you can soften your gaze and look into the soul of the person you see a a a unfolding of sometimes drama sometimes comedy sometimes tragedy but you get to see the person's life and especially the causative uh, you know, originating conditions of the illness that they present. And it was simply by making me sit there for hours upon hours, looking into particular people's solar plexus area here and dreaming and honoring my imagination and helping me realize that this wasn't fantasy that there is a validity, that it's a natural, metanormal human capacity, that it is part of our spiritual development. And it was always done with the intention that it was a stepping stone toward a fuller spiritualization, not only of oneself as a, as a practitioner of these arts, but through our example for humankind in general. He was very keen on understanding that you don't heal the world altogether. You heal one person at a time, and that's enough. And that was his main lesson to me. And so that's 
probably the most important non-Western teacher I have had. Once he passed over, I had the great fortune of meeting uh, Don Benito Coriwaman Vargas from Wasau, Cusco, as a result of my Organization of American States field work uh, through the National Public Health Institutes in, in Peru as well. That's a whole other story. But Don Benito came from the tradition known as the Paco, which is the Alto Misayoc. It's the uh, Highland Andean uh, area of Cusco, they practice it. And they're much more earth honoring ceremonialists. Their medicine is more in quintus or coca leaf offerings and despachos or jaywaricuis, uh, feedings, mihushankus, ritual feedings to the earth. Their approach is much more in, in obeisance or dedication to the Apus, to the great mountain lords. So I had this extraordinary foundation of healing the individual that I learned through Don Celso and entering into sacred reciprocity or Aini, a balanced relationship with the living earth as a result of my apprenticeship with Don Benito which was a bit more informal, of course, and only lasted four years from 82 to 86. Those are the two primary non-Western teachers. And then I've had encounter with teachers that are on the other side of the veil. As I mentioned in our first segment, when I had that near-death experience, that encounter with Shining Ones was pivotal in, in waking me up to, um, to spirit helpers. And from a shamanic perspective, my tutelaries, my, uh, my animal allies, my puma and my hare uh, visit me in my dreaming and make me follow them into certain circumstances and then cut me loose and say, okay, go ahead and do it. Do your magic, work it. They're the guide. They're more like guides than actual um, instructors. They, they help me get to where I need to go to apply my healing. They're all part of the teacher, the group that I have. Beautiful. I trust this answers your question. It absolutely does. I wanna just focus on one other question before we close this section. And you talked a, about, particularly in the section on your work with Don Celso, you talked about his, his work with people one person at a time, healing one person at a time. And you talked about the, the classic conditions that anthropologists would refer to as um, culture-bound syndromes. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanna focus for a moment on susto mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people in our world who are very troubled when they come to these ideas of non-Western healing. And the, this whole concept of the, the wounded healer that somebody may come to this because of a crisis, a, being at a crossroads in their life, and may come to this because they maybe they want to learn how to heal, and in the process, they're finding out about their own woundedness, or they're at a point where they experience their woundedness, want to be healed, and through that, turn to the path of a healer. But I want your personal take on that mechanism, that way from both the, the indigenous and from the modern psychological perspective about how this happens. What, what light can you shine on that process for somebody who may be at that point in their life? 
Certainly. Um, well, it's no surprise that a dismemberment experience is kind of a prerequisite to become a healer in, in the indigenous worldview. Uh, by that, we mean uh, a life transformative crisis of types, sometimes even that leads you to the verge of actual death, physical death, that you come back from, much like any uh, catastrophic illness, near-death experience, encounter with anomalous phenomena that just rattles your world and makes you realize, holy cow, everything I, th I knew that I thought I knew has nothing to do with what's really happening in, in, in the universe. So that, that wake-up call is, uh, is fundamental for any genuine, heartfelt, um, wounded individual to become reintegrated, to, become, to, to, to attain a state of wholeness that is much more inclusive than what their three-dimensional, five-sensorial conditioned uh, view of reality is about. In other words, illness is a doorway to health. What is one person's poison is another person's medicine, or as Paracelsus said, the only difference between poison and medicine is dose. So when you encounter, when, when you have an when I had an opportunity to, and being very wounded myself, to, to look at myself through the aid of the San Pedro cactus, assisted by Don Celso, to look at my own insecurities, my fears, my doubts, my darkness, and see them as a part of myself, not something to be repressed, suppressed, and feared, which makes them then come out in addictive behaviors, right? To just accept them as part of my makeup. Then they became my allies. I brought them onto my side. And Don Celso was always keen of saying, you must always whine and dine the adversary. You must always feed them and bring them into your side. And so I feel that all illness, all disease, whether it's of a psycho spiritual nature or whether it's of a physiological or biological nature needs to be befriended, needs to be understood, needs to be made into an ally whether the ultimate expression of it is death or not. The same as with death, we must, life is just a preparation for death. We need to learn to live well in order to die well. And this is what curanderismo is about. It's a, it's, it's a path of learning how to live well, always knowing that it's about what's going to happen when you allow your final breath to be returned to the source and at that point surrender yourself into the world that you choose is going to be the most elevated not only vibrationally but in terms of vision for the maturation the continued maturation of your soul in these other realms of consciousness in these other bardos so this is a little complicated answer to your question, yet it ties in in this manner. Illness is of two types in curanderismo. 
enfermedades de Dios, illnesses of God, systemic physical disorders, cancer, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, things of that nature that need to be mostly treated with herbs and other types of uh, more physical interventions, and then enfermedades de daño, or illnesses of harm. Within the illnesses of harm, there exists the susto, the magical fright, which is akin to uh, 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 post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, very similar, same characteristics. A person is, encounters some very strong event in their life, a, a, a something very frightening or something very painful, and it's almost like a part of themselves, a part of their soul seems to fragment or break, break off. Oftentimes you have to go and retrieve it and bring it back in the classical shamanic journey work, right? But this susto is really more than just a shock. It is, it is a death, a death of the ego. And the ego has two parts of it, according to the Peruvian shamanic uh, Gamasca tradition. The ego has the part of it that identifies with oneself as separate. That's the ego with a lowercase e. And then you've got the ego with a uh, higher, uh, uppercase E, which identifies with the logos, with the one mind, with, with being part of, of the great creative mystery, originating mystery. That's the ego that, that comes back once the susto is taken care of. Methods to deal with the susto are many, as you well know. Everything from, you know, the diagnostic methods by rubbing an egg or a guinea pig or you know watching the movement of a spider in certain areas of a bowl things of that nature through capnomancy through smoke countless techniques that basically mirror the vibrational field of the person so that the curandero can go ahead and determine and make a diagnosis as to the source of the illness once that is done then there's numerous techniques of limpia, of cleansing, of suspendida, of clearing, of florecida, of raising that occur over the night of a mesada, right? Uh, or that can be done individually by patients that come by themselves rather than in a community gathering. So it's all part of acknowledging that everyone on this planet just by the fact that they have incarnated in physical form are wounded and that our path as wounded passers-by is to learn to be a healer that's how i best can understand it and in that process of learning to be a healer it's like much like jung's notion of individuation it's it has no finality. It's just a continuum of deeper insights, more awakenings, uh, stronger understandings of the immortality of oneself as a soul, less identification with the, with the physical body, more identification with spirit, and deeper gratitude and a sense of altruism and compassion for all our relations, right? That's the that's the journey of the wounded healer. That is the best summary I've heard. So 
Thank you so much. That's a good point for us to end this section with. Oscar, thank you for the gift of those words and those stories and those insights. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Gladly. Love you guys. This has been Cultures of Health and Healing with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe and rate this show and share it with others. Until next time, remember, your health and healing matter, and you can find your own unique path to optimum wellness.